May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to continue on this morning in a series of sermons on prayer. We began that last week. And the goal is that here at the beginning of this year, God would renew our prayer life as individuals and as a church. And so we began this series of, on prayer last week. And I thought as we go in this series, it would be, of course, very appropriate for us to examine the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks. Maybe you heard about this controversy that happened around Christmas time in England, a controversy about the Lord's Prayer. The Church of England produced a commercial on the Lord's Prayer. It was a 60-second commercial. The only words were the words of the Lord's Prayer. And it's a beautiful commercial. Very well done. Uh, You can look it up on YouTube. Just go to Pray UK. That was the name of the campaign, was Pray UK. And in this uh, commercial for the Lord's Prayer, there are different people from different backgrounds and demographics saying different phrases of the Lord's Prayer. So children, and there's a farmer, there's a policeman, there's a grieving husband at the, at the graveside of his wife, reciting different phrases from the Lord's Prayer. Well, uh, the movie theaters in England banned the commercial. And they said this prayer would upset or offend, or could upset or offend our patrons. Now, of course, I don't agree with that decision because it's a blow against free speech. But do they have a point? Do they have a point that the Lord's Prayer is an offensive prayer? It's a subversive prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer teaches us to think and act in a way that's very different from how a lot of people think and act. For example, one bishop writing about this, a Church of England bishop, in response to this decision, he he said kind of what I'm saying is, I don't agree with the decision, but the theaters have a point. This is a subversive prayer. He said, for example, the Lord's Prayer restrains greed. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us just what we need for today. Whereas our consumer culture trains us to be greedy, to want more. Not just daily bread, but a whole pantry full of bread, a whole warehouse full of bread. So there's a subversive element to the Lord's prayer. It's a prayer that teaches us as we pray it to live as kingdom people, to live in the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is a prayer that forms us into people of the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do today is look at a part of the Lord's prayer. First, I want to kind of give a couple of introductory comments to it, and then we're just going to look at this first petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name. When I started working on this sermon, I thought, well, I'm going to talk about the first three petitions. And so that was Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I got to Thursday, I said, well, I'm going to have to pare this down to just two petitions. And now here we are, it's just one petition, an introduction and one petition. There's so much here in the Lord's Prayer. St. Augustine said that the Lord's Prayer contains all Christian prayer. 
Uh, let me just talk about how we might use the Lord's Prayer in our devotional life. This is going to be a refresher for many of us, but I want to talk about this simple matter of how we might use the Lord's Prayer. Now, of course, we can just simply recite the words. We can just daily say this prayer prayerfully, reciting the words, because sometimes, and this is a stumbling block for people when it comes to prayer, is what am I to say? What am I to pray about? Well, here it is. These are the words that the Lord gave us. And so we don't have to feel pressure to be creative or spontaneous or to impress God with our prayers. We can just say the words prayerfully that Jesus gave his disciples. And as we do that, and as we meditate on these things, the words and the theology of these words will begin to seep into our hearts and minds and begin to take up residence in our lives. But the Lord does warn us here. It's interesting. He warns as before he begins, to, before he gives them this prayer, this form of prayer, he warns them. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for you, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't heap up empty phrases. In other words, don't pray in a mechanical way. Don't pay, pray in such a repetitious way that you think that by just praying these words over and over again, it's some sort of incantation and you're going to get the attention of God. That's how the Gentiles pray. No, you're praying to your heavenly father who knows what you need. So Jesus gives this prayer as a way for us to connect. With our father. And while we can just say the words prayerfully, I think Jesus is giving us more than just words to repeat. Jesus is teaching us about the kinds of things we ought to be praying for, the kinds of things that ought to shape our prayer life. And so if we want to know what to pray for, we can study this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. So that's how we might use the prayer. We can just say the words prayerfully, and then we can begin to use this Lord's prayer as an outline and structure for our prayer life. Now, let me say something about the structure of the Lord's Prayer. It begins, as you see, with an invocation. We invoke uh, our Father who is in heaven. And then there are six petitions, depending on how you count it. Some people say six, some people say seven, um, because um, the last petition can be divided into two. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some people split that up into two separate petitions. I like the symmetry of six. You have three at the beginning, that are God-centered petitions. They are God-centric. Our Father in heaven, your name, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. So we start our prayer focusing on God. This pulls us into kind of an upward thrust as we look to God as we begin the prayer. It's about God. And then... We talk about our needs, our need for daily bread, our need for forgiveness, daily forgiveness, our needs, our need to be delivered from evil and temptation. And then you, you end in a doxology. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, when we recite this out of the Bible, uh, that's left out. And we kind of want to say that we want to hear that. That's a doxology that was added later to this prayer. It was added later 
It grew up in the church through liturgical use. It's not in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, but it's entirely appropriate for us to pray. Thine is the, uh, uh, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's appropriate for us to pray that. There's nothing theologically wrong about it, but it doesn't seem to have been part of Jesus's original prayer. So that's the structure. You have invocation, six petitions, and then this kind of doxological, this, this, uh, this way to end in the praise of God and his kingdom. So today, let's look just at this first petition. Hallowed be your name. What are we praying for there? We're praying that God himself would be honored and reverenced. This is more than just saying we're not going to use the Lord's name in a loose way. Although that's a very good start. To not use the name of the Lord as a curse word, as a byword, as a throwaway word. The name of the Lord, the very name of the Lord is to be revered. But this is a prayer that God himself would be honored and set apart and regarded in us and in the world as holy and sacred. To hallow something means to set it apart as holy and sacred. So, for example, in the Old Testament, the priests were set apart for the service of the Lord. They were called holy to the Lord. The sons of Aaron were set apart from the rest of the people of God. They were consecrated. They were, they were separated because they were holy to the Lord. Parts of the temple, objects in the temple, were considered um, holy and separate and sacred to the Lord, hallowed. So you set apart things that are worthy of reverence and honor. In my, uh, in my home growing up, my mother had some family artifacts, some family memorabilia, some dishes, some pictures, some antique things, and they were set apart in the curio cabinet. Woe to the child who dared to open the curio cabinet. Now, these were set apart. These were important things. And that's what we do when we value precious objects. See, you set apart something, you hallow it because you recognize its worth. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, O God, what we are praying is that we would recognize the worth of God and that the whole world would recognize God's worth and value. But we're we're praying that not just his name, but himself. God himself would be honored in that way because in the Bible, the name, as you know, the name stands for the character of the person. So it's more than just a label. It's a description of the person. So as we study the Bible and as we study the names of God, we get to know the character of God. He is he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. That's one of the names that we see. He is Adonai, Lord, Master. The sacred name. That, that God reveals in the Old Testament to Moses is what? Yahweh. I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. You can't define me. You can't categorize me. You can't categorize God. You can't put him in a box. He defines himself. And the way you get to know him is he reveals himself. I am who I am. All these names for God teach us about his character. The great shepherd. He is Emmanuel. God with us. And on and on it goes. The name tells us who he is. 
And Jesus tells us that if you belong to him, his name is Abba, Father. Dearest Father. You pray to God in that way. This God who is in heaven. Yes, he's, yes, he's majestic. Yes, he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the mystery of the universe. God in awesome power and majesty and might. And yet, he is also our Abba Father. Dearest Father is the sense of that. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying that God would be known in these, in these ways, the ways that he's revealed himself. And he would be reverenced and honored because of that, because of who he is. So that's what's so countercultural about this. God, hallowed be thy name, because our culture says you want people to hallow your name. You want people to reverence you. You want people to honor you. You know you, you've reached top dog status when you, when you go into a room and people say, well, oh, that's so-and-so. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? Our culture says, hallow, you know, if you want to be a success, get your name in lights. There's a song that our, our kids know, and a lot of kids in that junior high range know. It was popular a couple of years ago. They used to play it at school assemblies called Hall of Fame. And, a, and one of the lines says, the world's going to know your name when you're standing in the Hall of Fame. You're so great and magnificent and terrific. And one day, the world's going to know your name. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not going to know your name. And if they know your name for a time, eventually the world's going to forget your name. Most likely. God endures forever. If you want to be eternally significant, work for the name that endures forever. If you want to find true meaning and purpose in life, work for the glory of His name. And see, praying this prayer will pull us into this God-centered, other-centered way of life. Here's a poem that I came across about the Lord's Prayer. Listen to this. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. When you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. Included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it, it doesn't once say me. The Lord's Prayer. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about all of us living under his rule and reign. Well, as you think about that. God, hallowed be thy name. How is that going to happen in our world today? Because there's a lot of people who aren't really concerned to hallow the name of God. They're concerned to make a name for themselves. And sometimes we get pulled in that direction, too. So how is that going to happen in a culture where many people say just the very idea of God is irrelevant today? We live in a world of technology and science and progress. So this business of hallowing the name of God or longing for the, the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to come. Maybe that gives you a little psychological uplift. But some people say it's just a crutch. Well, you know, there's still a longing for this God that people will not name. There is still a longing in our modern world for this God. They won't name him. They don't know his name, but they long for him. I was reading just yesterday 
in a newspaper article about a, about a lady who's an artist, a famous artist in England. I never heard of her before, but she's a modern artist. And she sort of burst into the art scene. She made um, what we would, I think, call sensual kind of shocking art. That's how she made her name 20, 30 years ago. And now she's wealthy and famous and powerful. But in this interview, she said, as she ages, she's in her 50s now, she said, there's a heaviness to life. And I want to know what I can do to get rid of this heaviness. There's a burden to my life. I don't understand it. That's what she's exploring now in her art. See, she's got this longing for God. She doesn't know the name of God, but she has this longing for Him. And we, as the children of God, can say to a world that is longing for Him, they don't know His name, we can tell Him. We can tell them, rather, about the name of God and who they're longing for. So, as we pray and ponder this part of the Lord's Prayer, let me just conclude with kind of a checklist here of what I think God can do in us as we just think about this concept and pray about this. God, may your name be hallowed. May your name be hallowed. Let me just give you a quick check. Checklist. One is this, that as we pray for God to hallow his name, um, this will check our pride. This will check our pride, because as I mentioned, we want to make a name for ourselves. And so we can say along with the psalmist, the psalmist says this in one fifteen one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness, not to us. But to your name. As we pray that God would hallow his name, this should stir in us a desire to lift up the name of Jesus. Because it's through the name of Jesus that God the Father is glorified. Jesus said this in John 12 as he's heading into Jerusalem for the last time. The shadow of the cross is is over him. And he goes into Jerusalem and he and he says to God, his father. My soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no. For this purpose, I've come to this hour. Purpose to redeem the world. And then he says to God, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it through you, my son. That's what that means. God has glorified it. He's, he's been glorifying his name since the beginning of all, all creation in the creation of the world and the redemption of the people of Israel. But it reaches its climax in the work of Jesus Christ. The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as people know the name of Jesus, as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, his name, God's name is hallowed. And that's what we want in our lives and in our church. Here's another thing that God may do in us or work in us as we pray and ponder this petition. Day after day, year after year. Decade after decade, hallowed be thy name. God might convict us about how we might represent his name 
how are you representing my name then? How are you living to the glory of my name in your life, in your workplace, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your singleness, in the way you relate to people at church as a priest, as a deacon, as a layperson? How are you doing hallowing my name, reflecting the goodness of my name? The first century Jews, they, they also prayed this prayer to hallow the name of God. And we'll talk about, as we go in this series, the relationship between Jesus' prayer and the, the Jewish prayers that he probably would have been familiar with. Because what Jesus is doing is he's taking some of these prayers that were very familiar and he's, and he's, and he's joining them to himself and his prayer life and his mission. But the Jews also prayed that God would hallow his name and the rabbis taught the people to be careful not to profane the sacred name of God. Don't desecrate the name of God, they said. They taught their people that. Watch out how you live. Don't bring disgrace through public scandal and sin to the name of God. And then finally, in this petition, and I think really with all these these first three petitions, these God-centered petitions, your name, your kingdom, your will, as we pray this, this creates in us a longing for the eschaton, for the end, for the final resolution, where God's name will be exalted and evil will be vanquished. And as we saw in the passage from Corinthians, the foretaste of this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the end comes when God, when Christ will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every enemy. This comes at the end. And Paul also says in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, that there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord and they will recognize that His name is the name above every name. That's coming at the end. And that gives us hope. See, this prayer... Is an eschatal. This this prayer is about what we're doing now, but it's also about what God is going to do at the end. And so this stirs hope in our hearts that God is going to bring things to an ultimate completion. I'm told that Winston Churchill, some of you may know this, uh, I haven't verified it, but I'm told that one of Winston Churchill's last words, this surprised me because we know that. Churchill was the one that rallied the English people and gave them confidence and hope with his words. But I'm told that one of his last words uh, were, there's no hope. There's no hope. A Christian will never say that who's been living in this Lord's Prayer. To say there is hope. There is hope. To my dying day, there is hope. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. His name will be exalted. So let's pray this prayer this week. Hallowed be your name. That we would reverence and honor the name of God. We lift up the name of Jesus. We'd watch ourselves so that we don't bring disgrace to his holy name. That we would live in humility before the greatness of his name. And be able to say, not to us, not to us, but to your glory. To the, the glory of your name be all the praise and honor.
Amen.